Father God, I give you great praise for your word. I give you great praise for this beautiful day, this beautiful weekend. I give you great praise for the country that we live in, that we have the freedom to proclaim the good news of the gospel, the sole truth. Truth. There is no other truth other than what your word says. And Lord, we get to proclaim that and take time off from our regular rhythms of life, our work, and to reflect on your word and to enjoy creation and to remember Christ crucified and how his death brought about the greatest good that has ever been brought. Lord, it's in him that we live and breathe and have our being. It is in him that we have salvation and in him alone. It is not through our good works or merit, but through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see that this was your plan from the beginning and and that the truth is not an optional truth, but rather the only truth that has many backings even hundreds of years before Christ walked the earth. Lord, we pray that we would understand and that your Holy Spirit would move us to worship you and glorify you today and every day. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. It's important to think about what we believe, and we should always test our beliefs and that beliefs, and that doesn't change even being a Christian. What we'll find is when we test our beliefs, their beliefs, there has to be other uh, reasons behind it other than just our mind, our own thinking, our own experience. But when we look at Christ crucified, there is plenty we can test it against. The scriptures date back many years, many hundreds of years before he walked the earth and testify to the fact that he will die, he will be buried, and he will raise to life and conquer sin for the world. We also have the surrounding glory that is around us today in this universe, and we have the surrounding documents of Romans and the Jews that all testify that there was a Christ, that he died, that he was buried, and something significant happened after he was buried. He rose again. He defeated death. Even documents outside the scriptures testify to that. But we don't need them. We have the scriptures, and the scriptures are the sole truth, and they are the ones we trust in most of all. And this is what Paul, the writer of that passage I just read, is claiming. He here is one of the earliest written documents of the New Testament we have in chapter 15 of Corinthians, and he's basing it off a creed. Now, we know that the creed, the Apostles' Creed, was written in 300, Well, this is where we probably get it based off. Paul's writings. He's wanting to say to the church, a church that is divided, a church that is allowing false teaching to creep in, a church that's listening to all these other false truths and not not, uh, uh, wrestling with them in the Old Testament, but listening to them as their absolute truth. And he is saying, let me clarify to you what the good news of the gospel is. Let Let me remind you, let me preach to you again what it is, and of first importance, of absolute, number one importance, Christ died for our sins. And the evidence that he gives for it, according to the scriptures. Not according to anyone else, not according to the Greek philosophers, not according to the current gods of the time, no, only according to the scriptures, that is enough evidence alone that Christ died for our sins. So today we look at Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and on Sunday we'll look at, and he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. So who is Christ then? 
And who says according to the scriptures? What are the scriptures where this statement comes from? Well, we have to turn to two different parts. First, John, because John says something pretty significant. John is a gospel writer. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. He walked with Jesus for the years of his ministry. He witnessed Jesus at the cross. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he spoke to John and said intimate words to him. He said, John, this is my mother. You be her son and take care of her and she'll be your mother. That's a pretty personal interaction to have with a man hanging on a cross. So we've got John, the apostle, who is one of the first witness of Christ, and he testifies that Christ is the Son of God, probably in a greater weight than any of the other Gospel writers. Now, we could dive into the Gospel of John, but for the sake of time, let's not. Let's just think about one phrase that he said in John 12, where he stated words of Isaiah, and then said this about Isaiah, because he saw the glory and spoke of him. Now, this is significant. What John the Apostle is saying here in John 12 is that Isaiah, the prophet, who lived 700 years before Jesus, saw this Jesus' glory and spoke of him. So according to the scriptures, we have John as an eyewitness of the physical Christ walking the earth in human flesh. And he says we have a greater witness again, Isaiah, the prophet, who lived 700 years before Christ walked the earth and saw Christ's glory and spoke of him. Which brings us to two passages, Isaiah 6, 1-10 and Isaiah 53. Now, don't fear, we're not going to spend the whole time unpacking these, but it gives us a great weight of who this Christ is. If Christ died for our sins, we should want to know who Christ is. So, if you have your phone or, uh, or the Bible with you, turn to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is a great passage as we see what Isaiah sees and what John is referring to. And it says in these few verses... In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is what John is referring to in John 12, when he says that Isaiah, 700 years before Christ became man and walked the earth, he saw his glory. Isaiah, when he looked upon the throne in the year that King Uzziah died, he saw Christ seated in heavenly glory, in a place that was like no other glory that has ever been seen. Now, this is significant because King Uzziah has reigned for over 50 years. He was the boy king. He reigned from 16. And at first, he was a pretty good king for a 16-year-old. 
but pride gets the better of him and he loses his way in the end. So much so that God takes his life and in this moment, the whole of Israel is in chaos and fearing, well, what's going to happen now that our king has died? They would only know this king. Fifty years is a long reign. The, the people would be experiencing this good king's reign and wondering what is now going to happen. Well, Isaiah, in the moment of prayer, is praying to the Lord and, and wanting to seek God's counsel on what will happen now that this king has died. And of course, what he sees is a vision of the heavenly king upon his throne, Jesus, before he became man, dwelling in the heavens, sitting on his throne. And it says the train of his robe filled the temple. This is significant because in those days, the longer your train as the king or queen would walk down the aisle of the congregation, the longer the train was, the more glorious and successful the king had been. This king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who sits in glory upon the throne, his, his train fills the temple. It's better than Uzziah. It's better than Hezekiah. It's better than any king that has gone before him. It's even better than King David, the great king after God's own heart. This king's train fills the temple. Not a temple made by human hands, but the temple made of a holy God in a spiritual place that our eyes cannot see. That we need more understanding of the glory that uh, that Isaiah is seeing here, it says that there are spiritual preachers, seraphim. The name means fiery ones. They're on fire. They're blazing like fire. If we saw a seraphim, we would tremble. Yet these seraphim themselves aren't the most glorious being that is here in this room. They, in fact, are created to worship the king of kings, the one who is on the throne. They have six wings. They are created and designed to be in the dwelling place of this holiness, of this glorious king. They have six wings in order to cover their eyes and their feet, for their eyes can't gaze upon the glory of the king on the throne, and their feet can't touch the ground because it is a holy place, and they are unworthy. With the other two wings, they are floating, flying, ready to be commissioned by the king to go about and do any of the work that this king has for them. These fiery ones, these seraphim, in themselves are more glorious than anything we have ever seen in this earth. Anything you've ever laid your eyes on, these beings are more glorious. Yet they are nothing compared to the King, the King Jesus who sits on the throne. In fact, the seraphim, in their time that they dwell around the throne around the train of the Lord that is sitting there in the whole of the temple, they are singing to one another in a round. And what they are singing is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Think of these fiery creatures, the most splendid creature you've ever seen. They aren't glorifying themselves. They aren't lifting themselves high. They are worshipping the one on the throne they are saying he is holy, he is separate, he is different to us, he is greater than us, he is glor more glorious than us. In fact, everything we see in the whole of the universe points to him, points to Jesus. When, Peter, uh, when Paul writes, Christ was crucified in accordance to the scriptures, and John says, Isaiah has seen his glory, this is the Christ that was crucified. 
high and lifted up, sitting on a heavenly throne, surrounded by fiery creatures that pale in comparison to his glory, who sing of his beauty. I love what one writer said about kings and queens of our days. It says, In our world, a king and a queen cover themselves in such majesty, beautiful clothes like reds and purples, pearls of gold, pearls and gold covering them. And they use it to cover their decrepit, decaying, ugly bodies. But the king that Isaiah sees on his throne uses a train to cover himself, for the mere majesty underneath that train would kill a man or a woman if they looked at it. Isn't that incredible? The comparison between our earthly kings that cover themselves in majesty to cover up their decrepit, decaying body, but Christ covers himself and veils himself to walk among sinful men and women so that they may gaze upon him in order to trust and believe in him and have salvation through his death and resurrection. What a beautiful image that we see according to the scriptures, this Christ lived for all eternity before he became man. Later, Isaiah speaks of him as the suffering servant. Same writer who's seen the glory of Christ sitting on the throne, the train filling the temple, fiery spiritual creatures singing, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Later writes of him in Isaiah 53, a great famous passage which should be held with reverence. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace, And with his wounds we are healed. We are like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the, the iniquity of us all. This is the same, the, the same heavenly king that is on the throne that Isaiah now speaks of. That according to the scriptures, he would die for our sins. Can we just grasp that for a moment? That the king, earthly king has died and Isaiah has this encouraging vision of the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who sits on the throne in all his glory, that even fiery spiritual beings are nothing compared to his glory. And now later, 50 chapters later or so, we see Isaiah say, and he will suffer in human flesh on our behalf. He will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He'll be pierced for our transgressions. He'll be crushed for our iniquities. In order for us to have peace, he himself will be wounded. And the Lord will lay on him our iniquities. The Holy One, not just one holy, but three times holy, 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 is Lord Jesus Christ, whose glory fills this whole earth. He is the one, on Good Friday, we celebrate going to the cross. He is the one who is crucified on our behalf. When it says that Christ died for our sins, we must not think of just an ordinary man like ourselves. We must think of the splendor of the King, 
that when the false trial was going on and they clothed him in purple to mock him and put a crown of thorns upon his head, he was worthy of that purple. He's far worthier of a gold crown than a crown of thorns. He was worthy of worship. When they mocked him and bowed down and worshipped him and called him and said, get yourself off the cross, he was worthy of all the worship. He was worthy of them to fall to their knees. And if he was so willing, he could have unveiled his glory as he did on the Mount Transfiguration and made the men that nailed him to the cross tremble. When we think about Good Friday, when we recall what took place on Good Friday, how a death can be good, we're recalling how the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who is eternal, who has lived forever and ever, took on human flesh, upheld the perfect law of God, and did not fail with one thought that was wayward, who loved the Lord the God, his God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and who went to the cross and died for sinful flesh. He died in the place of men and women who have turned from the Holy God. And he died as a sinner, although he himself was without sin. And he died as we should all die, away from the Holy God. And he did it so that we could be reconciled to himself, the Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. In verse 4, back in 1 Corinthians 15, it reminds us that he genuinely died, that he was buried. Jesus didn't just have some miraculous moment where his heart stopped for a moment. He wasn't half dead and in a tomb. He was fully dead. He wore the full weight of sin. He was crucified. His heart was stopped. His body was pierced. There was no life left in him. Paul makes it clear that he was buried. He was truly dead. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, confirms that he was dead. The Jewish high priest confirms that he is dead. Jesus, when he died on the cross, fully died. And in three days, we celebrate on Sunday that he fully rose to life in a resurrected body. A body that still bears the scars of our sin. A body that reminds us of our the weight of our consequences of sin, yet a body that is redeemed and resurrected and will come in glory, a body that will come in a way that we would not be able to stare upon with this physical body we have today. We wait for the new resurrection, and we'll talk about this on Sunday, we wait for the hope of the resurrection when our eyes will be given the ability to gaze upon the glory of the King who sits on the throne. This body... This sinful flesh is not capable of seeing God in that sort of glory. We would die if we saw him. Yet we wait in the hope of Christ's resurrected body that we too will obtain a resurrected body in order to see him, the holy, holy, holy Lord, upon his throne and dwell with him face to face forever and ever. That is why Good Friday is good. Because the King of Glory stepped out of heaven and off his throne and into human flesh, and suffered and died in the place of sinners, although he himself was holy.
Let me pray. Father God, I pray that we would not think of this story as a mere narrative or a old wives' tale, but we would tremble at the thought that the God of the universe, the one in whom all things were created by and for, he was the one who was crucified. The Lord is his name, Jesus Christ our Saviour, the one who, are, who Isaiah saw on the throne, the glory which surrounds him, would we feel the weight of what he endured on our behalf? That when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced something he had never experienced before, separation from you, Father. A separation that we all deserve and should have. Yet your grace, your grace, Lord, is given us salvation in Christ and Christ alone. I thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate today in the beauty of your creation, in the outdoors that surrounds us with joy and is filled with your glory, that we can celebrate today how the death of Christ was a good thing for mankind and that it made way for us to dwell, to dwell with you forever, and to obtain a resurrected body which will be able to withstand the glory in which you bring, the glory in which you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.